Conservation Tribe. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline. On this podcast, I talk with a range of conservationists every single week, from scientists, students, creatives, innovators, and everyone in between. I hope this can be a platform for conservationists to share their story, educate, collaborate, and ultimately inspire action. So if you want to join our conservation tribe, then make sure to hit subscribe and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the Conservation Tribe. Today we are joined by Selenge, a wildlife conservationist from Elephant Voices. So Selenge, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. No worries. It's a pleasure to have you on. <laughs> um, so today's episode is going to be focused around elephants, obviously, um, but specifically how they communicate, how they behave. But we're also going to dive into some questions around animal rights. So for example, one question might be, do elephants deserve rights? Why do they or why don't they deserve rights? What do those rights even look like? And how does this point of view affect elephant conservation? How does this point of view affect elephants in captivity? But before we dive into that, can you please introduce yourself to the podcast? Of course. Okay. So my name is Selenge and I'm a conservationist. I was born and raised in Kenya where my parents studied and continue to study elephant communication and behavior. So I spent a lot of my childhood in an elephant research camp in the middle of Amboseli National Park in Kenya. And so because of that, I was constantly surrounded by wildlife and elephants. And I think that really shaped me into the person that I am today. It made me care about animals and their rights. And it also just um, made me realize how important animals are for our future and how much we depend on them. So um, elephants have always been and always will be a big part of my life. And I think they are worth protecting as well as all other animals. So can you explain what Elephant Voices is and what is the mission for the project? Okay, so Elephant Voices is a nonprofit organization and they study um, the behavior and communication of African elephants. Um, they also use knowledge acquired over 40 decades. So my mom has studied elephants for 40 years. <laughs> She's an elephant Damn. expert. Yeah. Um, so they use that information and knowledge to act as a voice for elephants. So in the wild, ivory poaching, um, deduction of habitat, competition with humans for diminishing resources, sport hunting, culling and capture all threaten the freedom and survival of elephants. And then in captivity, their well-being um, is affected by abusive practices and exploitation for commercial gain. So they act as a voice for elephants, both in the wild and for elephants in captivity. So that's kind of their mission. Um, ah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. So the yeah. elephant voice, the voice part makes sense in terms of they study that. But then yes. through that knowledge, they are then the voice for them. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. So from your work with elephant voices and generally just kind of growing up with elephants and, and observing them in Kenya pretty much your entire life, um, what are some ways that elephants uh, use body language and sounds to communicate? I mean, there's so many ways. Um, my mom has discovered over 200 different sounds that elephants make to communicate. But I'm just going to give a few examples that I think are quite fascinating. Okay. So, for example, if a female, an adult female, and not the matriarch in particular, but just any adult female, if she wants her family to go in a certain direction, she will um, 
use her body to um, show them what she wants. So she will face in a certain direction and, and so she's pointing one way and then um, she wants them to follow her. So she'll give like indication movement. So she'll like use her foot to do this. Um, so swing it back and forward and she'll start moving in that direction and she'll kind of look behind to see if they're following her. And then she'll give what's called a let's go rumble, which is a specific noise that elephants make to say, I want to go this way, come with me. And I mean, the family won't necessarily follow her. Um, in some cases they do, in some cases they don't. But it's just like a very good example of how elephants use sound to communicate and then and also body language. And then also another example is with calves, like if calves want to suckle, they um, uh, give a certain call, which is called a begging rumble. Um, so they're basically begging for milk and then they'll kind of move along their mom, like rubbing up against their stomach with their trunks up um, towards the breast. And then um, if the mom lets them suckle, then that's obviously good. But if she doesn't, if she's trying to wean them, they'll give like a squeal um, that will like really indicate, okay, mom, like I really want some milk now. And um, either she will move her leg forward and let them suckle or she won't, depending on what her... Um, her thoughts are on that, I guess. <laughs> so that's just kind of some good examples of that. I've heard from someone that if elephants flap their ears, that's kind of the equivalent of a dog wagging its tail. Is that false? Is that a? Is that a? <laughs> is that like a fake news? Um, I haven't personally heard that. I know that elephants hmm. use their ears to flap when they're trying to cool down. Yeah. Or um, like must males give an ear wave so they kind of make an s shape with their ears and it's a threat it's kind of okay. letting other elephants or even humans um know okay i'm in mass like back off like okay. let me through so i don't know if they they don't do that when they're excited yeah um, okay it's like that that's thing dangerous where, um, then <laughs> yeah <laughs> well not, not always um yeah. they could just be flapping their ears to keep cool um but yeah. there's also that thing where it goes around where elephants feel the same excitement as humans do when we see puppies or something like that that that's not true either <laughs> like i don't think elephants feel excited when they see us yeah well probably not anymore <laughs> probably not anymore <laughs> in terms of the uh, theme of backing off so you said backing off with tourism so people going on safaris what are some body language that elephants use that we can kind of observe and be like, okay, maybe let's move on. Or, you know, if the trunk does this or if the ears do this or if their hips do this, that means we're getting too close, back off. Well, a really good indication is um, when they have their heads like raised up. So like usually they'll be just here, but if you see them raise their head like this and they have their ears out, um, that's kind of a good example of maybe you should just give them some space. Mm -hmm. um, if they put their head down, they are most probably going to charge you. So that's Ooh. when you should just be aware of that. Um, when it comes to like, if they put their trunk up like this, um, can you see that, like that? <laughs> they're usually just smelling you um, or kind of making you know that they're aware of you. Hmm. So that's not really a bad thing. It's usually when they're like head, like you can tell when they've got their head up and they're kind of just making themselves look even bigger. Um, I would just turn off your car and sit still and quiet. <laughs> okay. So if they flap their ears out and they kind of try and generally make themselves bigger, that's yeah. kind of like 
a warning sign. But then yeah. contrast to that, if they try and kind of become smaller. If they like make themselves like that, they're probably going to charge Smaller you. and then like head down, you said. Yeah. That's. But head like very down, like almost to like, like. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's like a <laughs> that's like a definitely that's going to happen. That's kind of like a get out of there ASAP. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> are there any similarities between the way that elephants communicate and the way that humans communicate? Yes, many. many. Uh, I have kind of a funny example of that okay. one. Go for it. Um, so, I think a lot of us remember being kids at a pool party and or like at someone's birthday and there's a pool so i've witnessed elephants um especially in when there's been a lot of good rain and they're really fat and happy and they've got a lot of excess energy so they love swimming elephants love to swim yeah and so um i've witnessed like hundreds of elephants at a time in a water hole and each elephant has a like designated area. So the females with their younger calves will kind of be in the shallow area, splashing and, and doing mud baths. And then the kind of older calves will be slightly deeper, um, rough housing it a bit and like jumping on top of each other. Well, not jumping, but um, climbing on top of each other. And then like the males, the big males will be in the deep end, like doing their own stuff there. And then eventually like the females will kind of leave and they'll walk out of the water and they'll stand by the water's edge and they'll call to their calves. So they're waiting for their calves to finish. So that's a good example of like humans wait and elephants also wait for their family. And so they're calling and calling and calling and these calves just do not want to leave the water. And eventually they'll like be like, okay, like, okay, mom, I'm coming. And they'll like make their way out. And then um, they will like, it's so difficult for them to leave their friends. And suddenly they'll get to their mom and they'll turn around and they will run back to the water, like squealing with delight. And they will face plant, like head first. I've seen them go head first back into the water. And it's just like that a perfect example of like just kids at a pool party. You like having the best time. And then your mom's like, okay, we have to go now. And they're like, oh, mom, please, I don't want to go. So I think that's quite a good example of how elephants and humans communicate and behave like in kind of similar ways. Like it's a, it's a random example, but it's quite funny because it just makes them so human yeah well it makes it relatable i mean everyone like yeah. is, everyone can relate to that i mean exactly. i can think of that like a situation where i was at a, a party or a pool party with some friends way back in the day and then my mom's like we need to go i'm like no no <laughs> and i'm like okay and then i like to look back at my mates and they're like come back and i'm like oh. like one more jump <laughs> like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think those examples are good um, where you make these relatable connections to these animals yeah. because the more that we can close that gap between human and elephant or human exactly. and other animals, the closer <laughs> that we get to them being as one yeah. is, is what we want. So To being more human, whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that means. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Are we the only humans? No. What would you define that as being? Like, obviously, this is something you've thought about. Like, what does it mean to be human? Well, I think a lot of humans, like us, don't have the qualities that a human should have. Like, I think humans should be able to show empathy mm -hmm. and um, love and compassion towards other things. And in that sense, that makes an elephant human because they show compassion and empathy towards other beings. They are sentient animals or humans or whatever. That's a good segue to my next question. So 
Elephants often characterize as being socially complex and intelligent animals. Mm-hmm. So is this in line with kind of what you've experienced in your life? Yes, completely. So uh, based on the work of so many people, elephants understand the feelings of others and um, they know when others are in trouble. Um, so that means that they can show empathy. So if an elephant is injured or if a calf is stuck in the river or in the mud, they can help them out. So they seem to understand when an elephant is in difficulty. But in my own experience, like I've witnessed an elephant that came to me asking for help. So it had been speared by humans or people. Um, so it seemed to understand that even though it had been speared by people, yeah. people would also help it. And this was an elephant who had um, been injured quite a few times and then had been treated by humans. So it came to the camp where I was working and it was like a resident bull. So he came very often, like he knew we were there. And this happened on two different occasions. He came asking for help from us. So he came to the camp and. Um, he was standing underneath this tree and we were on this walkway that was kind of raised above him. And he used a stick to point to his wound on his back. So he was drawing our attention to his wound. This so was that the really, Yes. And this happened mm. twice. So it really instilled in me an even greater sense that elephants are intelligent, emotional animals and are capable of these very socially complex feelings and emotions i guess so that was quite something for me to witness yeah the fact that they a they can feel this pain and they are aware of their surroundings to be like okay here's this other animal this human other human i may need some help from you yeah i'm gonna grab a stick and point to this wound on my back exactly can you help me yeah and also what how it's complicated because people hurt him yeah. But then he was able to distinguish between the people that hurt him and the people who helped him last time. So what is that telling us? They have good memories. They have good memories, exactly. And they can distinguish between people. Hmm. And they're smart enough to be like, okay, this person treated me this way in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm smart enough to know that they could repeat that in the future. Therefore, I'm going to maybe avoid them and, and go elsewhere. Exactly. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Okay. So that answer kind of answered my next question, but I'm going to say it anyway and maybe reframe it less as a question, as, but more as a statement now. Um, but the question was, do you believe elephants are self-conscious and sentient beings who have the capacity to, to feel and to suffer? So it sounds like that that is true. Yes, true. Um very much so. Um, and I have a kind of a different story when it comes to that. Okay. Um, I have so many elephant stories. Um, but this isn't actually my story. It's my mom's. Yeah. <laughs> so when she was studying elephants in Amboseli, um, when she kind of first started studying them, and she knew all the elephants very well by name and how they looked and everything. So there was this elephant called Tony who had given birth to a stillborn calf. And um, my mom came across Tony and she was standing over the calf and um, she stood there for uh, 48 hours um, standing over this calf, basically holding a vigil for her dead calf. And she was shooing away the hyenas, chasing away the vultures and the jackals that were trying to get to the calf. And my mom said that everything 
about her body language and her face was grief. It spelled grief in like the purest of forms. And so my mom um, decided that she had to help this elephant, even though it was in a national park and it's not allowed. But she just felt like, I mean, she hadn't eaten, she hadn't drunk anything in two days. So my mom brought her water in a jerry can and a basin and she poured the water near Tony and Tony came and drank. And this happened about three times. And then at the end, Tony would reach up and put her trunk on my mom's chest as though she was saying thank you. So, um, and then we also have the whole elephants go to the places where their, their loved ones or families or whatever have died and they carry the bones and they hold the bones and they step on the bones and they put them in their mouths. Like, what, what is that? Uh, they, they obviously know that these are members of their family that have died and they are feeling grief. Um, so they are very, very, they definitely have the capacity to feel things and to suffer. And then if you think about all the little orphans, for example, orphan elephants that have, have watched their mums been shot and had their faces hacked off. Now I'm getting quite graphic, but it's, it's true. Um, and they stand with their mums until obviously they're rescued and they carry these feelings with them the rest of their lives because they have such good memories and and it's the same when elephants are captured and, and shipped across the world and then put in into captivity they they remember their families and and it's just it's really heartbreaking that they experience these things and just carry it with them for for their lives yeah that just made me think of like for humans you know, when you're young, I don't know the exact age range, but like when you're young, less than 10, maybe like between three and eight, I don't know, don't quote me. But during those times, your brain is very malleable. Yeah. And if you have experienced trauma, if you experience hardship, that absorbs a lot more than if you were a bit older or, you know, if you yeah. weren't in that age range. That just made, when you just said that story, that just made me think a lot of this trauma, like with, um, poaching and stuff like that yeah you know a lot of these elephants that are targeted have young i imagine exactly and they're at an age if they are like humans which i'm sure in this sense they are mm. that's going to hit them so hard so hard so so hard and then it will i mean they could suffer for the rest of their lives um mentally mm. um, and yeah so we just don't know what kind of how much of an impact this has on their lives mm -hmm. on the inside. So given your experiences and we've kind of, based on what you're saying, it seems like elephants have this sense of um, sentience, they're conscious beings, they have the capacity to suffer. So mm -hmm. given, given this, do you believe that elephants deserve rights in a similar way to kind of humans and, and what kind of rights, I guess, what do they look like? I believe they deserve rights 100%. I think they look slightly different than, than human rights. Um, I think the main one is that they deserve the right to remain wild. Um, they deserve the right to remain with their families and not be taken from their families or and stay in their homes. So I believe that animals deserve the right to remain free. 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 Yeah, I mean, when we think of human rights, we like as in... What are some base rights that humans have? We often think of, mm. you know, every human does deserves the right to have, you know, a roof over their head, like a home, shelter, yeah. food, yeah, water. Exactly. 
that kind of speaks to what you're saying with the elephants with their home. They that is their home. It doesn't look the same as our home, but no, but it, we it are destroying home. that home. Yeah. Like we are destroying a lot of animals' homes. Just look at the rainforest. Um, so that's also a right that they need to be left in their home mm. and the home as they know it, not as we know it. Um, and their home is getting smaller and smaller because we are getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, but obviously that's a different topic. <laughs> yeah. I think the, um, the awareness of the fact that they suffer is quite important and the fact that they can yeah. have feelings. Exactly. Like these stories about um, that elephant grieving over their mm-hmm. dead calf. This is something yeah. that we can all relate to. And I think that's often missed is this idea that, you know, animals can can suffer like we do. And suffering is kind of a critical thing for me. So if, if something has the capacity to suffer, we need to consider yeah. that in our decisions. It's not exactly. the important thing isn't the the thing or the creature that is suffering. It's the suffering itself. Yeah. So the fact that elephants can suffer, that is important for us and that should inform how we interact with them, them. how we treat them and all all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But obviously that doesn't matter to everyone. Like not everyone cares about that, which is why more people need to be informed and more like not everyone knows that, that they suffer. Yeah. The challenge is making people care about that kind of stuff. Exactly. A lot of people based on, I guess, the upbringings have an inclination to be more concerning and caring about animals. Like obviously someone mm-hmm. that's born and bred in Kenya, raised around elephants, you're you're going to care about them more than someone that hasn't yeah, had exactly. any exposure, exposure to them. One thing we're talking about is animal rights. Mm-hmm. So yeah. from a conservation and animal rights perspective, what are your views on elephants and captivity? <laughs> Well, I always get in trouble for talking about this, but anyway. <laughs> um, so in my opinion, no wild animal should be um, in captivity. And I think this um, applies even more strongly to large mammals um, like elephants. And there's a lot of long-term studies that shows that elephants thrive in extensive socially complex um, networks and they need to live in large ecosystems. And captivity robs elephants of their most basic needs. They are separated from relations and companions and are subjected to unsuitable climates and insufficient space. Um, So that's quite an important thing. And elephants face a lot of health issues in captivity. So they, um, and this is something they wouldn't experience in the wild. So example is, foot and weight related issues, arthritis, um, stillbirths, infertility, heightened aggression, um, stereotypical swaying. So like, you know, you see them a lot doing that. And then the zookeeper. What does that mean? (laughs) So um, apparently it's got to do with post-traumatic stress. So PTSD. Mm, Because I've seen Um, that um, in real life and and it's very confronting. Yeah. And they're just dancing and having a good time, but it's not they are um it's a neurotic behavior that stems from um what we were going back to is like being captured from the wild and taken away from their families it's just a deep-rooted neurotic behavior and these are all very good indications that elephants the elephants needs are not being met 
And I know a lot of us, like a perfect example, right now we're all at home in isolation. Um, we can't really go outside. We're all bored out of our minds, staring at the wall. That's what it's like for an animal in the zoo every single day of its life. And I think now we can show a bit more compassion to animals in captivity because we've experienced it to some extent now at home and it sucks. <laughs> We're all really bored. So um, I think that is something to take with us forward. So your views on elephants in captivity, does that differ from other animals? Personally, no. I don't think any animal should be in the zoo. Um, but I do understand that zoos do a lot of conservation work. So they support a lot of NGOs, um, a lot of NGOs in Africa. So they do do good work, but I just can't get over, I just don't like the mm -hmm. thought of animals being taken from their homes and put behind bars, basically. And that raises the question, kind of conservation versus animal rights. Like you could have yeah. a strategy where, you know, a conservation strategy where you're trying to increase the numbers of a particular species, but is that compromising their their rights as an animal? And what takes precedence? What's more important? Yeah, I mean, people are always saying, oh, um, we can, if we take them out of the wild, then they're not going to go extinct. And we put them in a zoo. But zoos are one of the reasons why animals are going extinct in the wild. So if zoos didn't exist, we wouldn't have this issue of animals going, I mean, we might because of habitat loss, etc. But yeah. like, it would take away one of the issues why animals are going extinct. Yeah. But I, I, like I said, again, I do sympathize with the fact that a lot of zoos spend a lot of money on conservation and that I can appreciate, mm -hmm. but I just don't think that they belong in captivity. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. With sanctuaries, there seems to be a problem with how different sanctuaries can be. So it seems yeah. like some sanctuaries can kind of prioritize the money aspect, whereas some seem to prioritize the actual welfare of the animal. Yes. And this can be a problem because if you're a tourist and you're, you know, going in Southeast Asia or, or, or in Africa, mm -hmm. if you're not aware of what a sanctuary should look like, you could unintentionally be supporting one that maybe you shouldn't be supporting. So, yeah. so on that, how would you define an elephant sanctuary and what is your vision for an elephant sanctuary? Um, okay, so a perfect elephant sanctuary would be one where the elephants are left alone without much human contact um and you definitely wouldn't be able to wash them or definitely not ride them like that's like a warning sign if you can ride the elephant in sanctuary that's not a sanctuary because yeah it's just riding is just such a big no-no um and then i think a very important one is that they have the space to be able to roam and wander like they would do in the wild and there is a really amazing sanctuary in Brazil. Um, and they have three elephants at the moment, all of whom were rescued from captivity in South America. And these elephants are, they have a huge amount of land. They have 2,800 acres of just wilderness that these elephants can just live a free life. And it's the perfect place for an animal to go and, well, retire, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, minimal contact is a big one. Um, and just a lot of space. Mm -hmm. Okay, so minimal contact, don't ride, give them adequate space. And I guess because of that, that helps with their, the welfare of the elephant. Exactly, so, yeah. And also, like, just do your research before you visit a place. And I know that's hard because they're not going to show what happens behind the scenes, but 
like mm. a clear sign is the amount of contact with the animal. Yeah. Um, and on that, if you visit a sanctuary, like um, ask them questions, give them feedback, and then also voice that to your friends and family as well. Yeah, word of mouth is so important. Yeah. yeah. Because without that, it's hard because obviously these places aren't going to say, I'm mistreating this elephant, like blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's going to come from outsiders or tourists, other people visiting the place, then informing other people. And then I also think um, it's really important what you post on social media because... um, Oh, yes. I like that. Yes. Keep going. (laughs) I'm very passionate about this. I think I know where you go. This um this whole thing with okay for example baby baby lions and I know this is a big thing now with the whole tiger thing which I haven't seen the documentary but I know it's a big thing so um there's a thing in South Africa called canned hunting yeah. and it's an awful practice I don't know if you know about it but anyway <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> not good um and basically tourists are go to South Africa and they go to these like cute baby lion farms and they can take pictures with the um, cubs and it's super cute. And then um, these lions grow up being used to humans and then they live in captivity basically for their whole life. And then these trophy hunters come along and the lions don't know any different. So they're set out and these trophy hunters can just shoot them from really short distances because these lions come bounding over to them because they think they're going to get petted. So I think it's, um, this goes back to the whole of social media, like be so careful what you're posting because if you take a picture with a baby animal, um, then you get so many likes and people are going to be like, well, I want a picture with this baby lion or whatever. And I saw this thing of this influencer and she posted a picture of her holding what I think it was a tiger, but it looked like a lion with stripes, but, it like I don't know anyways Liger? and yeah maybe maybe yeah, actually and she'd gone to this Oklahoma zoo and she was like I'm the new tiger king and I'm just like are you serious like you didn't understand the point of the documentary and now you you're posing there in your bikini and you're making loads of other young girls want to do exactly what you're doing so it's so important to think about your content on social media and what kind of message you want 100 percent I am very passionate about this. Um, One thing that I keep thinking about, and I've said it um, on my personal Instagram page, and I've probably touched on it on a few podcasts as well, is this idea Mm. of liking an animal to extinction. So this is exactly relevant to what you're just saying now is an influencer who shares a video of themselves patting a tiger or bathing with a tiger, that acquires 2 million likes or 5 million views or whatever it might be. It goes viral, essentially. That draws so much attention. And the thing is, just like supply and demand, if you buy a product, you're effectively Mm -hmm. demanding the supplier to supply more of that product. I think the same applies with social media. So the more you like a particular photo or video, the more you're demanding content creators to create more of that type of content. Exactly. Or more of that video and, and that image. And that is extremely dangerous, obviously. So people need, like you said, need to be more aware of, they need to be more responsible with how they like, how they comment, how they engage with content, because whether you like it or not, if you like and you comment and you engage on a post promoting it, that's demanding more people to create more of that. And if that content is contributing to the pet trade, the illegal pet trade and poaching and all that kind of stuff, 
you are contributing to that in some small way. And I'm not, I don't have anything like, and this is the other thing. A lot of these people that comment on these types of posts are animal lovers, right? They, Mm -hmm. they love tigers. They see a tiger. They're like, my mom, for example, messaged me the other day. She sent me a video of someone from Tiger King and was like, oh, how, how amazing is this? Like this. And then I told my mom, I was like, this is actually not really a good thing, but she's not a bad person. She's a saint. Um, So, and that's, that's the thing is we can't, the solution to this is not criticizing the people that are engaging with it. The the solution is engaging with them and educating them and raising awareness about why this is a bad thing and explaining and clarifying the link between how posting this content of someone patting a tiger in the zoo that acquires 5 million views, how that contributes and how that fuels the illegal pet trade. Exactly. Raising awareness about it. Uh, I'm so passionate about that. Yeah, me too. It's oh. grinds, and also, I saw ideas. like um, Kim Kardashian, but um, <laughs> she, <laughs> sorry. Um, she went to Bali and wrote a, went to her sanctuary yeah. and wrote an elephant and posted it all over Instagram. And everyone was like, oh my God, amazing. But then it's like, no, this is not a sanctuary. You wrote an elephant. It totally defeats the point of being sanctuary. And then you could see like the mahout behind with a bull hook. And it's like, who are you actually trying to kid here? Like, this is so obviously not a sanctuary. And then she was like, no, no, look it up, look it up. And it's like, no, it's so blatantly not a sanctuary for elephants. Like, don't post this on social media just to mm-hmm. get likes. It's not worth it for in the long term for animals. Mm-hmm. And someone who has that much power should really know better, in my opinion. They should know better or, or at least be very um, – think through – things before they post it a bit more like be like i'm riding an elephant i'm potentially going to post it to my 50 million audience on instagram is there potentially could this content potentially be misinterpreted or could this content potentially contribute to something harmful like just going through these these asking these questions and going through that i think yeah content creators need to take some responsibility as do content consumers yes as well I could go on. This could I could go on, yeah. on and on about <laughs> this, uh, but I'm going to go to. We've got a couple more questions to go. Um, yeah. So moving to kind of conservation. So I touched on before. Mm-hmm. Like I personally view these things as kind of some of these are conservation problems and some of these are animal rights problems, and they kind of yeah. all are linked in a way, but they can be separate things. Um, so. What are the main roadblocks that need to be addressed to promote the conservation of African elephants over the long term? Well, I think a major issue is the decrease in space and habitat for wildlife, the lack of land use planning, um, which basically means allowing humans, um, human settlement and agricultural areas to take place anywhere without much thought into keeping areas open for wildlife corridors and um, wildlife migrations. And I know it's not something people like to talk about um, because the real issue here is the pressure for resources worldwide. Um, And this all comes back to the uncontrolled human growth population. And this is a worldwide issue. So uh, giving an example, um, all roses or many roses come from Kenya, right? Um, and this is an really? example of how, yes. Wow. <laughs> so it's an that. example of how the what we do in the West affects different areas of the world and our consumerism, basically. And so all, a lot of roses come from Kenya, most roses. And some of these rose farms um, depend on water that was uh, 
fed from a swamp that was in the Amboseli ecosystem. And this swamp provided a habitat for wildlife in that area. And because of the demand for roses in the West, this swamp is now completely dried up, which means that the whole of the wildlife that lived there and the habitat has now gone. And that's consumerism from the West. So, and it's just, it's the same with palm oil. Like us Westerners sit here in our, in our house and we just want like a bit of Nutella on toast, for example. And um, this Nutella has an ingredient that is destroying rainforests and therefore is destroying millions of important species. So that's one um, roadblock is, is human population growth and then um, human wildlife conflict. So like elephants um, lose their corridors, for example, and then go into farms that have been set up that used to be part of their migration routes and they start to eat the crops and then they get speared and then it like just like starts a snowball effect basically. And then you also have the demand for ivory, which is still high, um, even though a lot of the markets have been made illegal, you still have the black markets, um, which is supply and demand. And I'm really, really hoping that after this current mess that we're in right now, um, because of the illegal wildlife trade, that people can start to change their ways. And people need to realize that it's not okay to exploit animals in the way that we do. So that's the main things that are roadblocks at the moment. Yeah, uh, very interesting what you said about the roses because that's, yeah. that's a question I ask myself a lot, not necessarily with buying roses, but how do my purchases from the shop, how do they affect nature? Like um, yeah. this idea of buying a rose, how that actually affects elephants in Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> like that's Isn't that crazy. crazy? And like it like, actually blows your mind. Yeah, roses are one of Kenya's biggest exports. So the amount of water that goes into it is really affecting the habitat. Yeah. And it's something you would never even think about. Like you just want some roses on your table. And then you, you add to that conversation, this industry of selling roses in Kenya is feeding a lot of families. Exactly. That complicates that, it again. Exactly, because then you have the population growth. It's just going to keep growing and growing. And then, yeah, it's it's complicated, but it's definitely worth a conversation and one that people don't like to have. Yes. I think that's important is acknowledging the fact that it's complex and yeah. kind of not trying to move around from that fact. Like with that, however we talk about it, it's complex. That's just the truth. That's just the reality of the problem. But despite that complexity, it's so, so important to talk about. Yeah. And that's why I think these conversations are really important. Um, it's a bonus that I actually enjoy having these conversations yeah. as well. <laughs> um, so we've kind of talked about elephants as being like intelligent creatures. Um, so what are some things based from growing up in Kenya and observing elephants? What are some things mm -hmm. that elephants have taught you? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so my mom, I actually love this question because my mom always says that I came into the world like a baby elephant um, <laughs> because I was surrounded by my mom's friends, like making a hell of a lot of noise. And they were kind of like her female supporters. And, and it, it's just a funny thing that she always says. Um, and so in many ways, I think ele elephants have taught me about family and showing compassion and just spreading love. And um getting excited about the little things like elephants are so dramatic and so like boisterous and silly and 
it's about like how excited they get when family comes together and all the noise and the excitement and so it's really about appreciating the little things that in the end become the big things i think that's the main thing for me and that's something that humans can definitely learn from i think with the internet with social media all this chaos we often fall into the trap of forgetting the small things um, Mm -hmm. that are really really important and during times of hardship those are the times when you actually look back and you're like these things are actually really important. Like, yeah, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to have these video calls with my family. Like that's one thing that I'm doing with my family is, yeah. and pretty much most families around the world, I imagine is we're having these video video calls with our brothers and sisters and family mm-hmm. during these tough times. Yeah. So sure. remembering the good things, that's a great lesson. Yeah. Okay. Um, how can people connect with you online? Social media. Uh, mostly Instagram. I don't do Twitter. I'm not very good at Twitter. Um, and I think my Twitter account's been hacked, so don't contact me on there. So okay. just Selenge at Selenge, S-E-L-E-N-G-E-I. And then please follow Elephant Voices if you want to learn more about elephant behavior and communication. Um, try and post a lot of that kind of stuff on there. And also go to their website, which is linked to their account. Uh, they have just so much information there. So it's definitely worth a visit. And final question, what message do you want to leave the conservation tribe? I think bringing it all back together, we act as though we're the only animals on this planet or humans, but we forget that our well-being and our future totally depends on other animals. So I think we have to stop treating animals like objects, that they are just there for our use and consumption. And because of recent circumstances, People are feeling really stressed about the reduction of social life for the foreseeable future. And I understand that, like, especially it's difficult for some because we're such social beings. But we forget that we are isolating and separating and translocating social animals all the time for our own greed and consumption. So what I really hope that when this is all over, we can start to take the social welfare and um, of animals more seriously, whether it be farm animals or zoo animals or wildlife. And basically, if we treated animals with the dignity and respect that they deserve, we wouldn't be in the situation we are in right now. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please feel free to subscribe. And if you want to be an extra legend, then please also leave a review. It really does help grow the channel. Thanks again, and I will see you in the next episode.